The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Lord Jesus, we thank you that what we've just heard is true, that we are not alone, that you're with us, you go before us. And so, Lord, now as um, we open your word, um, we open it with confidence, knowing that we are not alone. And Lord, we ask for your wisdom, we ask for your Holy Spirit to speak, to give us understanding as we open your word and talk about things that, um, that are definitely above us, talk about holy things. Um, so help us, Lord, um, help us learn. Um, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, um, in case you don't know, Thanksgiving is coming up uh, this week, and I'm really excited about it. I love Thanksgiving. Growing up as a kid, uh, I know every, every kid's favorite uh, holiday is Christmas, but right up there with Christmas for me was Thanksgiving, because, I mean, with Thanksgiving, I knew that I got a break right after Halloween. I had something to look forward to. I know I got a break from school. Uh, I knew that there was good food. I knew that as soon as Thanksgiving was here, that meant that Christmas was almost here. Like, I, I loved it as a kid, and, and uh, in fact, you know, I, I remember I remember one of my favorite Thanksgiving jokes as a kid. You want to hear it? Doesn't matter. I have a microphone. So, how come you? Why why can't you bring a turkey to church? Because their language is foul. And good night. All right, but anyway, uh, I, I love that. But you know, I, I never really cared about the history behind the holiday. I didn't care about that. I, I had food. Uh, I knew Christmas was coming. Like we, we had got out of school. I didn't care. I did not care about the history of the holiday. And then later, um, as an adult, I started to read things by authors like Thomas Watson and John Bunyan and Matthew Henry. And there's something that these men have in common. Not only are they great men in the faith, but also they were something called Puritans. And the history of Thanksgiving and the history of Puritanism is inextricably linked, all right? There's, there's no getting around that. And so real quick, let's, let's do some history lesson. Who were the Puritans? Well, the Puritans were people who were trying to reform the Church of England. The, the Church of England constantly went from one extreme to the other. They either uh, uh, cared mainly about Catholic traditions or Protestant traditions. And it mattered who was in charge because if this queen was in charge, for example, Queen Mary was in charge, she burned Protestant pastors at the stake, all right? So super Catholic, all right? So she would burn the Protestants at the stake. Then uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth would come after her and she did just the opposite. She didn't burn the Catholics, but um, she was uh, staunchly for Protestant reform. And so there was this big back and forth, back and forth. And so the Puritans sought to purify, there you go, Puritan, purify the Church of England from uh, Catholic tradition and different and different man-made traditions and a return to the scriptures. Well, right around that time of the uh, of history uh, king james was in charge and king james opposed all puritan reforms with the exception mainly of one puritan reform and you might have heard of it in 1611 they printed the king james version of the bible definitely a puritan reform um, so that one kind of stuck but some of the puritans grew impatient they said you know what this is taking too long we're never going to see this come to fruition in the church of england we got to get out of here and so those guys started to be known as the pilgrims 
pilgrims. And so what they did was, as you may know, in September of 1620, they got in their boats and they sailed to the new world of America. And their idea was when we get there, and it took them a couple of months, when we get there, we will now have a life in a, in, and we will serve the Lord free of bishops and kings. We will just serve the Lord together. Our whole life will be governed by the Lord Jesus. And so that's exactly what they did. They get there. We, we know that they instituted a form of government with the, with the Mayflower Compact in, in November of 1620. And then they had a really, really rough winter. About half of them died in that first winter. But 1621 was a much better year for them. Thankfully, uh, uh, the Wampanoag uh, Indians of the area taught them to fish and to hunt. And so they had a great year there. And, and so at the end of the of the um, farming season, they got their first harvest of corn and it was so great. They had a, a giant feast, a three-day feast that we recognize today as Thanksgiving, right? And um, But you know what? Thanksgiving's not the coolest thing about the Puritans. When you think of the Puritans, I don't want you to just think about buckles on their shoes and hats. I don't want you to think about um, Thanksgiving as we know it. What I want you to think about is this. The coolest thing about the pilgrims and the Puritans is that they saw the rule of Jesus Christ as, as over every part of their lives. There was nothing that was secular, according to the Puritans, right? That means from, from work to, to recreation, right? In your family, in your friends, in your community, even in their government, there was nothing that was outside of the rule of Jesus Christ. So I'm a big fan of the Puritans for that reason. And you know what? Some people say, well, they must have been incredibly boring. Like, you know, the idea that, that someone is puritanical does not normally mean that they're the life of the party, right? But that's not true true about the Puritans. The Puritans, they greatly enjoyed reading books and making music and drinking beer and rum and swimming and ice skating and hunting and fishing and archery and bowling. They were very active and fun people, but the thing that they realized and the thing that they believed that they would love the Lord their God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all their mind, with all their strength, and they loved their neighbor as themselves. And that's the way that they lived. And so a huge part of their lives was corporate worship, what we're doing here today, but also family worship. So in their own homes. They would read the word together. They'd study the word together. They would pray together. They'd memorize scripture together. They'd sing songs together. But even more important than their corporate worship and their family worship was something the Puritans called their, their, their secret worship, right? Their secret worship. Now, I don't mean they put on robes and they went in the middle of the woods, right? And they said, no one's invited. Let's just worship the Lord. I mean their own personal devotion time, their own personal time with the Lord. They believed that family worship and corporate worship were all anchored in that, in their private time with the Lord. And in that time, it included meditation on the word of God and prayer. And they believed this to be the most necessary, is what they called it, of all the worships, the most necessary was this private, personal worship. And, we're, and, and Thomas uh, Manton, a, a famous Puritan, said, he that labors must have his meals, otherwise he will faint. And he was referring to that private worship. They believed that you could not serve the Lord well. You could not live a life that pleased the Lord without this private worship time, without this personal time that you spent between the Lord and yourself, studying the word, meditating on the word, and in prayer. And we're moving to, we finally got to um, where the Puritans have influenced my life um, uh, most explicitly, um, implicitly the, uh, all over. Protestantism itself uh, has, has benefited greatly from the Puritans' influence. But, but explicitly in my life, directly from their own writings, the, the thing that they have influenced me the most is, is in prayer, is in my own prayer life. And 
A few years ago, I, I got this book. Someone gave me this book as a gift. It's called The Valley of Vision. I think there might be a, a picture of it, but anyway, it's just this book I'm holding, The Valley of Vision. And what this book is, is it's a collection of Puritan prayers. And some of you just went to sleep, just that sentence, right? But this is an incredible, incredible book here. And it's, a, um, I, let, can, I, can I read you a prayer? I'm gonna read you a prayer from this book. And you tell me, this is an incredible prayer. This is, the title of this is The Valley of Vision, which is a Puritan inspired prayer and it says this lord high and holy meek and lowly you brought me to the valley of vision where i live in the depths but see you in the heights hemmed in by mountains of sin i behold your glory let me learn by paradox the way down is the way up that to be low is to be high that the broken heart is the healed heart that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit that the repenting soul is a victorious soul that to have nothing is to possess all and that to bear the cross is to wear the crown that to give is to receive that the valley is the place of vision lord in the daytime stars can be seen from deepest wells and the deeper the wells the brighter your stars shine let me find your light in my darkness your life in my death your joy in my sorrow your grace in my sin, your riches in my poverty, your glory in my valley. Amen. Aren't they, isn't that incredible? This book is full of those, right? The Valley of Vision. And you know what? Being exposed to these prayers challenged me. And being exposed to these prayers, uh, they taught me many things. And that's what I wanna show you today. I wanna show you a couple of things that the Puritans specifically um, have taught me about prayer. And number one, you ready? Number one, your first blank, the characteristics of a healthy prayer life. As I was reading some of their prayers and as I um, came across these other Puritan authors and, and I read some of their writings and some of their prayers even, I saw patterns in their prayers. And, and these patterns, being exposed to these patterns got me to, to go back to the scriptures and, and look for those patterns as well. And, and I, I want to do that with you now. Would you, if you have a Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 through 4. Turn to Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 through 4. If you don't have a Bible, hopefully there's some under your seats. Um, if not, just, you know, grab your neighbors. What are they going to say? It's a Bible. I, you need it more. So anyway, or use your smartphone or something um, better than that. All right. So Colossians chapter four, verse two through four. You, you there yet? All right. Fantastic. Verse two. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. What I want to show you here in this scripture are four characteristics of a healthy prayer life. Number one, devotion. So look there, the, the very first words there, continue steadfastly in prayer. That continue steadfastly can be translated or, or defined as be devoted to or persevere in or continue in. And it's found six times in the New Testament in relation to prayer. In Acts 1.14, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Acts 2.42, the early church were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Acts 6.4, the apostles said they devote themselves, what? To prayer and the ministry of the, the word. Romans 12.12, 12, rejoice in hope, persevere in tribulation, be devoted in prayer. Ephesians 6, pray at all times in the spirit with all perseverance. So this description is not just pray, right? It doesn't say, hey, by the way, 
pray and, and give thanks. No, no, no. It says to be devoted to prayer, right? To, to continue steadfastly in it. It's a picture of fervent devotion, not infrequent interruption, right? That's the picture we have here of prayer. Fervent devotion, not infrequent interruption. And that's a new way to view prayer. It was for me anyway, because oftentimes prayer was an infrequent interruption, right? It was something that, oh, I got to do this, right? And it popped, when it popped in my brain, that's when I did it, right? Or, or if, I, if I was forced to do it, right? If you ever went on a youth camp or anything like that, they're like, everybody's going to go pray now. It was, not, it was not something I planned. It wasn't the main part of my day. It was just, a, that's what it was. It was an interruption. It's a lot like a phone call to a, to a distant relative. You know what I'm talking about? A phone call to a distant relative. It's, uh, you never plan to make that call, but you do it when you have to, when like there's a big event coming up or you're about to graduate high school and you know that your uncle has a lot of money, right? Like you make that call because you have to. And then, and then even when you do, it's always an interruption to your day. It's not something you plan. You don't wake up in the morning and go, ah, 2 to 2.45, I'm going to listen to my aunt talk about her, her, her bad knee, right? Like that's not something you plan. It's something that just happens, you know? And, and in fact, it's something probably not that important to you. You know, later in the, in the day, someone might ask you, hey, did you call your aunt today? And you say, I think I did, right? And, and so a lot of times prayer was just like that for me. It was an infrequent interruption. And here's described just the opposite, a fervent devotion. And what do you have in your life that looks like a fervent devotion. And there are some serious examples, but let's go with silly. How about football? All right. Some of us are, are big fans and some of you in here might have a fervent devotion to your football team. When I was in college, I went to a a private college in Mississippi is about the equidistance um, from Memphis as it was from the coast, right, from uh, New Orleans. And so we had a lot of people that I went to school with who were big LSU fans. But at the time, we were like a Division three school. Like, we used to play junior highs. Like, we were terrible. So no one was like a fan of our football team. We were a fan of other people's football teams. So everybody had their team, right? And, and so a lot, of, a lot of them were LSU fans. Not as much fans as one of my friends, who I would say had a fervent devotion for the LSU Tigers. And you know what? His weekends happened around their game. You get what I'm saying? It was never an interruption. Everything else was an interruption. This, everything was planned for him around that. It was never an interruption, right? And, and you never wondered, you know, did he, did he watch the game? You knew he watched the game. I don't know if he showered or if he ate that day, but I know that he watched the game. You know, it was something he devoted himself to. And that's what Colossians is telling us prayer should be for us. Not an infrequent interruption like when you sit down to eat or you forget to study for an exam, oh God, help me or, or you find out that Nana's going to have a hip replacement. It's not supposed to be just in these infrequent interruptions, although it can be. It's supposed to be a fervent devotion, something that we make time for, something that dictates the rest of our day, something that is all, that, that's who we are. It defines us. So the first characteristic of a healthy prayer life is devotion. The second is diligence. Keep, look, look back in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Here, uh, the word for watchful or, or alert here in, in, in Greek, it gives you a picture of a, a sentry standing guard, right? So it was, um, it was a picture of alertness or being awake or attentive or aware or looking out. And 
I think applying that to, to prayer, it means we should be working against distractions and hindrances for our prayer lives. So let's say we're devoted. I'm gonna have this prayer time before the Lord. I'm gonna do that. This is a part of my life. This is, this is who I am, right? What hinders you? Let's be alert, be diligent too. What hinders you from a fruitful, fruitful prayer life? Is it bad time management? Is it a lack of organization? What distracts you from a fruitful, fruitful prayer life? Excuse me, I'm gonna get that. Is it, uh, is it the, the noise of your kids, right? Did you do something silly and went and had four kids? Is it the noise of all of them, right? Is it the pull of your iPhone, that invisible pull to constantly check Twitter and Instagram and Facebook? Is it your own fatigue? I heard John Piper give an illustration on this that I thought was um, uh, really apt. He said, you do what you have to do to stay awake and stay at the task of prayer. For example, Oswald J. Smith, the former pastor of People's Church in Toronto, used to get off his knees when he got sleepy and pace his room so that he'd stay awake for prayer. Gordon Hamilton, a music partner with him in, in his travels, said that he would hear him pacing back and forth in prayer. He must have walked for miles. So the main idea here is that we'd be diligent to protect our prayer time with the Lord. Be diligent to protect it from the distractions and the hindrances that are in our lives. So devotion and diligence are the the two first characteristics of a healthy prayer life. Look thirdly, thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Look back there at verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. I don't have a great memory. I used to worry about that. I used to think something's wrong with me. Um, but then I realized, like, as I get older, like, everybody kind of struggles with that. Like, let's be honest, show of hands, how many of you struggle with a bad memory? How many of you struggle with a bad memory? Now, those of you without your hands up, would you please turn to those people and tell them why they had their hands up? Could you do that real quick? No? Okay. We, like, we, we struggle with it at times. But, you know, what I realized, I realized something about my memory. Maybe this is true for you, too. I have a great memory when it comes to, like, difficulties in my life. I remember all of those. I have a terrible memory when it comes to good things in my life. Anybody else like that? Anybody else like that? I remember the rough times really well. That's in technicolor, all right? But everything else, like, like the good, those are kind of black and white. Those are kind of blurry at times. Like, like, for example, I cannot tell you the name of my second grade teacher, but I can tell you the name of my, uh, of my bus driver in second grade who was insanely rude and mean to me all the time, right? I remember that. I can't tell you who I sat with at lunch the, the first um, semester of my freshman year in high school. I don't remember how many friends sat with me. I don't remember all of their names, but I I can absolutely tell you uh, uh, what I ate those days in the second semester when they changed my lunch and I sat by myself. You know what I mean? Like, I remember that. You go, Grant, you weren't popular? I know, hard to believe. But, um, and this goes for my relationship with God as well. I remember the difficulties. I remember the difficulties of following him. But so many of his blessings, I'm quick to forget. Oh God, that's cool. And then I just move right along. And why is that a problem in our prayer life? Here's why it's a problem. Because when I don't thank God, I forget his power. I forget his goodness. And then what do my prayers become? They become this desperate, panicky, faithless cry out to God. And it's a weak, weak way to pray. Uh, like, I'll give you an example. This really happened. So if you notice, uh, one of the things, if you, if you notice me like cruising around town, um, I'm driving around a sweet 
minivan. And don't, don't laugh. I know you're jealous. And uh, we got this minivan. And it is super, super nice. And it is more, it's, it's more than what we ever could have expected to have. And in fact, the way that, that we got it, like God just, he was just so kind and so gracious and so good. And he did so many things that were completely outside of our control to gift us this van. It was a fantastic thing and we love it. And it was wonderful. It was exactly what we needed. He's taking care of us. Not a week after we got that van, I remember some sort of bill coming along. I don't remember if it was a medical bill or it probably was like four kids. They're constantly trying to die. And so you're always like taking them to the doctor. And, but anyway, it was a medical bill or something. And, and I remember my first response was, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Right? Like we, we don't have enough money for this. Like this bill right here, right? Like, what are we gonna do? And so my prayer was like, God, please, I don't know what to do. I don't know if you're gonna help us. We're, we're just gonna starve. I'm gonna just sell one of the kids, right? Like, I don't know what we're gonna do. It's gonna be terrible. But then like when I stopped to thank him and I started to remember how good he is, guess what popped in my brain? God, you gave me a van. It's like right out there. It's sitting in my driveway right now. It is worth like way more than this stupid little piece of paper is, right? Like that's a big deal. Oh, and so my prayer changed and it went from this panicky, faithless prayer to, hey God, thank you. Like, thank you for all you've done. And like, I know you're gonna take care of this. Thank you. And, and God, would you give us the, the wisdom to know how to handle it in a way that honors you? Would you give us a wisdom to, to handle our finances and what you've given us in a way that honors you? But thank you, I trust you. I'm not worried, I'm not anxious. Thank you, I know you'll take care of me, right? And so uh, uh, a, a healthy prayer life is never without thanksgiving. Why, that's why in Philippians 4, it, it gives a prescription for, for, uh, of thanksgiving to, to remedy the problem of anxiety because that's exactly what happens. We remember how good God is to us and it grows our confidence in him and our prayers change. So a healthy prayer life is never without thanksgiving. All right, so devotion, diligence, thanksgiving, first three characteristics. Of a healthy prayer life. Right? Right, God? Yes, he agrees. Okay. Brother John, I think he's trying to rapture you again. All right, so be careful. He sent you back one time. Be careful. All right. Lastly, intercession, right? Okay, intercession. All right, so verse three through four. At the same time, while you're being devoted to prayer, while you're being diligent in prayer, while you're giving thanksgiving, at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. I'm just as selfish as the next human being, maybe even more so. And uh, I, I didn't think so growing up as a kid. I thought I was a pretty selfless kid. You know, like th in Thanksgiving, for example, um, I love ham. Keep the turkey. I love ham. Anybody, the honey-baked ham? Like, I, ugh, just right, let's just leave. Let's just go right now. Let's go to honey-baked ham. I love ham. And so you know what? I thought I was pretty selfless, though, because if we're sitting at Thanksgiving and there's one slice of ham left, right, I would hold it up and say, who wants it? You know, before I put it on my plate, who wants this? And I thought that was selfless. My dad pointed out that's not exactly selfless when you take a bite out of it first before you put it around. But I thought it was kind of selfless, but it's not. And, and, and I can be selfish and I can very easily spend my day thinking only about what I want, what I care about, what makes me happy. And in the same way, spending my time with the Lord, I can easily spend my entire time with the Lord just asking for things for me, just thinking about me, right? 
But we have this command to pray for others. First Timothy 2, 1. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Ephesians 6, 18. Pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Why did God give us this command? Well, I mean, number one, it makes him happy, right? So he commands what makes him happy. Two, it protects our unity together. But three, I think it, it's the same reason he gives us all commands, and that's for our joy. And, 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 and here's the joy in praying for others. God is giving you an opportunity to participate in what he's doing in other people's lives through prayer. Do you get that? God is giving you an opportunity to participate in what he's doing in his work, eternal, forever lasting, big time work in other people's lives through prayer. That's incredible. When you look at this scripture, James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. What does that scripture show you? God wants to do something that no one else can do, but he's gonna choose to do it through what? Through the prayers of other people. Like God wants us to participate. So, so many times I might see somebody and say, God, I, don't, I, I wanna do something, but I don't know what to do. Or, or God, you know what? I wanna be involved in this, but what can I do? And God's saying, you can do, you can do way more right now. You can pray. I want you to participate in what I'm doing. I've got a great thing here. I've got an incredible plan here, and I want you to be a part of it. Isn't that a great joy in knowing that, that God would use my prayers, that he would use the, 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 the prayers that he's given me to pray through faith, he would use those to, to further his plan in other people's lives? That's an incredible joy. So the four characteristics of a healthy prayer life are devotion, diligence, thanksgiving, and intercession. And this was certainly modeled by the Puritans. And these four characteristics are worthy of our time, worthy of our consideration and effort. So the first thing the Puritans have taught me about prayer is a characteristic of a healthy prayer life. The second is this, the foundation of a healthy prayer life, the foundation. And this foundation is what informs and serves and builds up those characteristics of a healthy prayer life. So what is the foundation of a healthy prayer life? Very simply. It's the word of God. That's the foundation. It's the word of God. In an interview about his book, Appeared in Theology, Dr. Joel Beek said this. He said, as the Reformation proceeded through men like John Calvin and the Puritans, God renewed an interest in allowing God's word to direct both how we pray and what we pray. The Puritans prayed out of hearts saturated with scripture. They especially delighted in turning promises into prayers. William uh, Gurnall said, prayer is nothing but the promises reversed. He also said, the mightier any is in the word, the more mighty he will be in prayer. The pattern of praying in scriptures culminated in Matthew Henry's book, A Method for Prayer, highly recommend it, where he collects hundreds of scriptures under different headings to guide the Christian in prayer. You could say that the Puritans would inhale the word of God and exhale prayers. And, and, and for the sake of simplicity, I want to give it a name. I'm going to call this praying the scriptures. That's pretty simple praying the scriptures. And the definition of that would be using the word of God as a foundation of prayer for oneself or others. So praying the scriptures, using the word of God as a foundation of prayer for oneself or others. And when I think back now on my prayer life before praying the scriptures for myself and others, I remember all kinds of difficulties. In this like this time I put aside to pray to the Lord, I remember all kinds of difficulties there. Like like repetitive prayers, anybody? Repetitive prayers? Like I would get, maybe I get the prayer list from church. God bless this person. God bless that person. God bless this person. God bless that person. God bless this person. God bless that person, right? Like it was just repetitive 
repetitive. What am I, what am I even saying? And, and so they were shallow prayers. God bless Susie. God bless Jack. What does that mean? What am I asking him to do? And they were distracted prayers, right? I'd close my eyes and I'd have every good intention of praying for somebody or even praying for myself. And then before I know it, I'm no longer praying for Susie or Jack. All of a sudden I have just planned how I would pull off faking my own death and moving to Argentina. Anybody else like that? You just get completely distracted, right? Or they were insecure prayers. I wouldn't be confident. I, I, I wouldn't be confident. Am I really seeking the things that, that honor God and are according to his will or, or not? And, but then I started to pray the scriptures for myself and for others. And I saw those difficulties completely turn around into strengths, into 180 degrees. And so my prayers became grounded prayers, not distracted prayers. The, the Bible would hold my attention because I'm reading it. I'm engaging with it. It would be specific and deep prayers, not repetitive and shallow prayers. For example, praying like, like take, uh, take out of Matthew chapter 5, pray the Beatitudes for somebody. It takes my prayers from, would you bless Bob? To Father, grant that Bob would recognize his poverty of spirit. Let him mourn for his sins, not be indifferent or unconcerned for his own soul. Work a meekness into his heart. Grant him to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Give him the heart of a peacemaker and a reconciler. Make him pure and keep him pure, O Lord. And if your will for him is to be persecuted, give him grace to count it all joy and to remember that his reward is great in heaven. It's a better prayer, I would think, right? It goes from shallow and and generic to specific and deep. It gave me confident prayers, not insecure prayers. I know that my prayers would be spirit-filled because I'm using the Spirit's own words and the Spirit's own will. I know that these are spirit-filled prayers. Uh, D.M. McIntyre says, God only answers petitions that his son has had a hand in formulating. 1 John 5.14 says, if we ask anything according to his will, He hears us. And I know that my prayer is his will. Why? Because I'm praying what he's already said. I'm praying his will as he's revealed it through the scriptures. I find it easier to pray for others. You know, sometimes I I might get the prayer list. Someone say, hey, would you pray for me this week? And, you know, I don't really know how to pray for you, right? Like, like for example, if we were going to do something about, like, missionaries, like mission work, and and someone would say, hey, here's a list of missionaries. Pray for them. Well, I don't uh, help them have a good day. Like, I don't know. Like, what am I supposed to be praying? here, but instead the scriptures give me something to pray. I might not know the situations they're going through, but I know Ephesians 1.17 is still, is still applicable. I know that I can pray this. I pray that you would give this person a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of you. Open the eyes of their heart that they'll know what is the hope to which you've called them, right? I know that I can pray that for them. Or, or it, it also makes it easier for me to pray for people I don't want to pray for. And you go, well, just don't pray for them. Well, that's a problem because Jesus said in Matthew 5, we're supposed to pray for those who hurt us and for who hate us and persecute us, right? So I'm supposed to pray for the people. In fact, the people I don't want to pray for are probably the people I need to pray for the most. But using the scripture as a guide takes my emotions out of it. I can just pray the truth. God, I, I, this is what you want for them. And I want what you want. So, so just give it, to, give it to them. I want what you want. So how do we do it? Let's close with this idea. How do we do it? How do we pray the scriptures? Because I want you to experience this. And, I, and, and here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you a general tip, and then I'm going to give you a specific strategy, right? Uh, the general tip, make the scripture personal. Make the scripture personal. Take the scriptures that you want to pray and, and put first-person pronouns in it if you're praying for yourself, right? It's not, God's not going to come down from heaven and be like, you changed my word. No, no, no. Take the scripture, make it personal, put your name in it. Or if you're praying for someone else, put their name in it. For example, 
out of Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. Uh, 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 taking the scripture and praying it for ourselves. You might change it to say something like this. Father, I pray that you would give me a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and a knowledge of you. Open the eyes of my heart that I'll know what is the hope to which you've called me. What are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe according to the working of your great might, right? So take those prayers already there in the scriptures and make them yours. I've included some. If you flip over your, your little handout there, I've included a list of references that you could start this week with. Take those scriptures, take those prayers in the scriptures, make them personal for yourself, make them personal for other people. Now here's a specific strategy. We're gonna close with this. And I, I learned this from a pastor, Kevin DeYoung, who learned it from uh, uh, somebody in his seminary. And it, so this has been around a while. You might know this, this might not be new to you, but here's our, our specific strategy is called the three R's. It's called the three R's. And you can apply the three R's to almost any scripture. If you're trying to pray the scriptures, almost any scripture. And here are the three R's, you ready? Rejoice, repent, request. Rejoice, repent, request. Requests. You go ahead and write those down. Rejoice, repent, request. And if I were you even, I, I might even write these on the inside of my Bible. Rejoice, repent, request. With almost every verse in the Bible, you can do at least one, if not all three of these things with the verse when praying them. We can rejoice and thank God for his character and blessings. We can repent of our mistakes and our sins, and we can request new mercies and help. Let me give you an illustration. I'm gonna do it with you right now. Um, look at Psalm 104.1. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You're clothed with splendor and majesty. That verse right there. If I, say, if I were to say to you, pray that verse, you might say something like, dear Lord, you're very great. You're clothed with splendor and majesty. Amen, right? But try it with the three R's. What does that become? Here's what it becomes. Rejoice. Oh Lord, you've richly blessed me more than I deserve. What a privilege that I can call you my God. Thank you for making me a little lower than the angels and crowning me with glory and honor too. You can repent with this verse. Forgive me for being blind to your splendor and majesty. Though you're very great, my circumstances and disappointments often feel greater. I'm sorry for being so ungrateful and taking your blessings for granted. You can request his mercy here. Give me eyes to see as you are. Tune my heart to sing your praise. Help me see your glory in the world you've created, in the people around me, and in the face of Christ. And you might say, okay, Grant, that's a trick. Psalms are easy, right? Like they're, they're basically prayers in and of themselves. That's easy. Okay, why don't we take Colossians 4, 2 through 4 that we've already used today just for our study there. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. How do we pray that? How do we do the three R's? Well, rejoice. Lord, thank you for giving us a way to constantly communicate with you. Thank you for not being, uh, 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 thank you for being faithful and teaching us. Thank you for allowing us to participate in your work. You are abundantly kind and gracious. We can repent. Lord, forgive me for allowing prayer to become an infrequent interruption rather than a fervent devotion in my life. Forgive me for ignoring my brother's and my sister's needs in my prayers. And you can request, God, help me be devoted to prayer. Open my eyes to the distractions and hindrances that are waiting for me and give me the wisdom to deal with them. Move me to pray for my brothers and sisters when I think of them. Cultivate a habit of thanksgiving in me. And Lord, open doors for me to speak about you to others, right? This strategy can be used with almost any scripture you come across. And I think it'll be incredibly helpful for you to pray the word of God. 
Um, let, me, let me pray for us. Lord, I, I think it's appropriate for us to close our time um, speaking about prayer with prayer. And Lord, firstly, we acknowledge um, our need for you. What we've talked about is helpful, it's practical. But Lord, it's impossible for us to do without your Holy Spirit. It is. It's impossible for us to do on our own strength. Because Lord, we worship ourselves. And for us to, to stop and to think of you and to worship you, that's a, that's a work you have to do on us. So we need you to do this. Lord, I ask for my brothers and sisters here that you would help us be devoted to prayer, to be diligent against distractions and hindrances, to always give thanks, and to constantly pray for one another. And Lord, would you help teach us to pray with the word? Lord, it's something we, we even see in the scriptures. We see the early church doing it. We see examples throughout all the scriptures of, of people speaking back to you your words. And Lord, we know that this, this is gonna require us to be in the word more, maybe more than we ever have before. So God, make us hungry for the word of God. Make us excited for the word of God. Give us that longing for it so that God, our lives would be saturated with it. Lord, do great things for your name and for our joy through what you've taught us here today. And God, now as we respond um, in song, accomplish much. Lord, call people home and unify your bride. For your name, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's what we're gonna do in the next five minutes, whatever. Um, we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing a song back to the Lord. And uh, I'm gonna ask you to do whatever the Lord's calling you to do. For some of you in this room, I don't know, it might be come forward, make a, an altar out of these steps. I'll be here, Brother John, I'll be here. Maybe you need to come pray with us. Maybe you need to find someone else in the room that you need to pray with or talk with or ask forgiveness from or I don't know. Maybe you just need to stand and, and sing as loud as you possibly can. Maybe you need to kneel at your seat or even just lay in the floor before the Lord. I don't know. You do what he's called you to do. For some of you though, I would imagine that maybe the Lord's calling you home. Like maybe there's some of you out there who you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus. Church, sure, fine. I'm cool with church. I like Jesus. I'm down with that. I like Christmas and Easter and all that. I'm in Sunday school. I'm good with that. But I mean like really giving him your life. That's, that hadn't been you. That doesn't describe you. Like you make the calls. You make the decisions in your life. Not, not what the Lord says. Maybe today he's saying, would you stop? Would you just come home? I have a better way to live for you. So stop and come home. If that's you, I'm gonna ask you to come forward as well. I'll be right here, Brother John, I'll be right here. We wanna help you, I wanna pray with you. I, I, allow me to be the first to welcome you home. I don't know, I don't know what the Lord wants you to do in this time. 
but I, I can't believe that the Holy Spirit would be here and that he'd move in this place for his fame and for our joy and he'd speak for us not to respond. So let's respond. Let's be faithful to what he's calling us to do. Lord Jesus, be lifted up as we worship. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us and sing?